now I press the right button. <laughs> nothing, nothing went pop. I almost turned off the entire podcast machine. The but podcast. Then, then I pressed the correct red button. We're back for another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's uh, the Ferndale Library podcast. And it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff. And I'm joined by Cricket. Hello, Jeff. Mary Hello, Gra- Mary Graham. But I- Spoiler. I was just about to introduce Mary Graham. Mary I know, Graham. I didn't want to say hi to you and not say hi to Mary Graham. It seemed mean. Hello, Mary Graham. Hello. This is what my voice sounds like. That's right. <laughs> uh, so it is September. And September is a time when libraries get excited because, on an unrelated note, it's library card sign-up month, which is just a good PSA in general. But uh, around the third week of September, it is Banned Books Week. <laughs> should, should I put like sound effects there? Yes. Sort of yes. trumpet maybe? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like a nice like the um, fanfare. So maybe something like dramatic and maybe possibly. Scary. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It's Banned Books Week. Yes. Uh, it's, I think it's properly starting on September 19th. Uh, of this year, which is 2022, depending on when you're listening to this episode. I mean, uh, it will always be 2022, okay. no matter when you are listening to this episode. But Banned Books Week will start on a different day if you're listening in 2023. And if you're listening in 2021, <gasps> dear God, please, please just just tell happened. us. Just tell us how you got there. Yeah. How you did the time travel thing. Oh. It's when Jeff turned off the podcast machine. He created a vacuum. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that gets into quantum physics because <laughs> there is a reality now where I turned off the podcast machine. Yeah. So you won't create a paradox, probably. Right. I'm just saying, get in touch with us. Tell us how to fix it all. Right. Um, also, tell lots of people in 2021 to listen to this episode so we'll like see some retroactive download stats come up, like suddenly appear. Yeah. Oh, look at, look at that. And so that you can talk to some of your school administrators about not banning the books that were banned in 2022. Yes. Oh God, you can we could have... solve it all. Unidentified time travelers listening to this episode. Should you all. Yeah. could be the keystone yeah. to solving this whole problem. Help <laughs> us, please. Should all of our podcasts just be transmissions to past time travelers who could maybe do our bidding and, Why not? Make, and make a better tomorrow for us? I mean, yes. certainly we would make some very interesting radio listening. Indeed, I'm just indeed. imagining them in their little TARDIS or TARDIS adjacent ship mm-hmm. going, oh, we shall turn the radio to the librarians who keep talking to us. If anyone has a TARDIS or TARDIS adjacent ship, they are the type of people who would want to listen to what librarians say. Yes. Uh, that's a It's a key demographic for us. At the very least, we could call up Russell T. Davies now that he's coming back to Doctor Who mm-hmm. and be like, RTD. Do us a solid, write that episode. He'd do it too. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so, but if you're not familiar with Banned Books Week, you should be aware that in general, folks try to get books banned. And Mary Graham is here because Mary Graham has become involved in a new initiative. It's called the My Right to Read. Can you tell us? Well, let's 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 hand it over to Mary Graham for a minute. Tell us about this uh, phenomena of people trying to challenge books i can see in cricket cricket said me saying phenomena just sounded like phenomena and now she's thinking and now she's thinking about muppets because that's (laughs) just what happens tell us about this phenomena about banning books i swear we're serious we're putting on our serious faces now (laughs) well i think it's the sort of topic that you have to be funny on the podcast about it or else it's just a major bummer right so 
people do be out there trying to control what other people can read. And I, I think this goes back to... Like the, since always. Yes, since always. Yes, actually, since always. I was going to say in the 50s with Nabokov, but I think it goes back further. Probably as the soon as a book was written, somebody <laughs> was trying to be in that I book. mean, basically, right. people have recognized how powerful books are. And anytime they recognize how powerful a book is, they want to control it. Yeah, not that we should get like completely radically reaching far back with our centuries here. But I think that is part of why they call it the Dark Ages. Is that people so, were well, not reading. The only, actually, the, the technical term of the Dark Ages and the, the, it's one of those things that medievalists are like, you can't, you, no one can use this phrase properly, so now no one's allowed to have it anymore. It's called the Dark Ages because we don't have sources. Uh, it is dark to us. Yes. It's not dark to the people who lived in them any more than our timeline is dark to us. So mm -hmm. maybe it was pretty dark for them, but that's not why we call it the Dark Ages. Right. It's just because we don't have a lot of, like, written stuff right. and that is because uh the printing press in the west relatively new invention mm -hmm. so before then you're copying things by hand and you're also copying them onto uh materials that are pretty flammable right so there's your there's your trouble <laughs> but back to our current predicament yeah. <laughs> um so there i mean in the united states book banning absolutely nothing new but college we sure are seeing a lot, a lot of it across the country right now. And it's getting a lot of publicity. Yep. In Michigan, I believe an entire, just for references, an entire library was voted to be defunded. Yes. The Patmos Public Library, uh, which is in, I believe, Jamestown, Michigan. Jamestown Township. Jamestown Adjacent Township. To Hudsonville. And yep. if I which is don't where I have... was for a funeral last week. Oh, ah. man. And if I if I don't have my facts crossed, I believe it was probably over a single book, and that might have been genderqueer. No, it was over more than one book, okay. but it was those books. Um, genderqueer did get mentioned. Genderqueer so. did get mentioned. Uh, it was over about ninety books, okay. which is a little less than one percent of that book of that library's collection. Right. I mean, I am just so Patmos doesn't have a director right now, and I am just so impressed by their board and the president of their board and the integrity that they've shown. Cause you know what? They could have ditched those 90 books right. for all of their money and they didn't. And that's just both in terms of our professional ethics. And I think just morally the correct decision. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, they lost their millage in August. They, over, over the fact that they, carried, over, yep. that, that they were having these books on their shelves and these accessible are, to the public. These are all books just for, for clarity's sake with LGBTQ content right. for all ages. All developmental stages and uh yeah so their millage renewal was denied that's almost 90 percent of their funding gofundmes were set up crowdfunding sort of resources nora roberts donated fifty thousand dollars unexpected hero um and she made it clear that she would have happily given more yeah but that's gofundme's limit right. so she was like if you still you know, need to cover costs, hit me up, I'll get you more money. So actually, Patmos is set for about two years now because they their final millage payment from their current millage, I think, pays out in the spring. Right. Um, and their millage is back on the ballot and their for November. millage is back on the ballot for November. So hopefully, and apparently some people who voted no on, on the millage in August were like, oh, we didn't realize the library would close. Well, I do have some news for you about what happens when you vote to take away 90% of the library's funding. Right. The library closes and now no one has free internet. Right. And this is to sort of like roll it back to the My Right to Read Coalition. 
this is part of the problem is libraries are public institutions. Um, these sorts of book banning efforts are honestly really being honed in on school districts, public school libraries, and and public libraries. The My Right to Read Coalition is a project of the Michigan Library Association's Intellectual Freedom Task Force, which I am on. So you can go to myrighttoread.com, and my is spelled M-I, like the abbreviation for Michigan, uh, and you can sign up. There'll be a button that says join the coalition, and that just means you put yourself on an email list. Mm -hmm. And as someone who writes a lot of the emails for the email list, I think it is a very good email list. I joined the email list, and I've never regretted it. Agreed, yes. Thank you for yeah, your, yeah, 10 out of 10. your 10 vote of, of confidence. We also have t-shirts and mugs mm -hmm. that are very nice mugs mm. uh, that say my right to read on them. And I'm going to, I'm going to add more historical context from an elder millennial. And this will resonate with cricket Banned books. I was aware that in the nineties when I was a kid, because there were books, I'm sorry, I almost bumped the podcast machine again. <laughs> there were books like the giver. I think that was a, that was a book that yeah. stirred up. Um, but I, as, as, as you said, it's gone back decades and centuries. Could be Fahrenheit 451. It could be Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, it probably could even be To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yes. definitely. Oh, it's definitely. Definitely it's To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> um, you know, the thing, as we approach Banned Books Week this year, the thing that I've been thinking about, the thing that a lot of other people in sort of intellectual freedom, library work are thinking about, is sort of... Is Banned Books Week the best framing? Right. And I think before we go further on that, open up and elaborate on intellectual freedom. It's a phrase yes. that folks might not fully understand. For sure. So intellectual freedom is a, a right. It's, it's technically sort of derived under the First Amendment, which so it falls under um, freedom of uh, speech and to some extent freedom of the press categories. Mm -hmm. Intellectual freedom is a right that everyone has to seek and be provided with information from a wide variety of perspectives on a wide variety of topics. And like, that's it. Like, that's basically like the government does not get to decide, get to decide what you can and can't read. That's just like the, the whole point of libraries is to support and perpetuate intellectual freedom. And that's why it's part of our job when we do collection development, which is how we pick and purchase the collection, all right. the books we own, but also all the movies and the CDs and like all the materials we own. We are considering, does this cover the spectrum? Right. Does this cover, you know, not only what's useful to our community, which is pretty tantamount because right. we have limited money and limited space. So we need it to be books that our community is going to use. And, you know, but also is this coming from a, a, coming at an issue from a lot of different ideological perspectives. Mm -hmm. So when people in a lot of the current book bans, it's very much targeting youth materials, children through teens. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, children and teenagers have intellectual freedom rights too. The First Amendment doesn't apply to you just the day that you turn 18. But the interesting thing is that a lot of times libraries will say... You know, if if you are upset about these items that we have in the library, because a lot of times people will make the complaint on the basis of like a child could open up this book and read this sentence. And a lot of times libraries will say, well, if you are the parent of that child, it's kind of on you 
to keep your child from reading sentences made up of words that you don't want your child to read. Right. And that is to some extent true. And then Which makes to me... a different extent, yeah. <laughs> thorny, because librarians legally cannot act in loco parentis. Which I'm going in, in, to ask her to do the Latin phrase. <laughs> you know, in place of the parent, the same way that legally we can't offer financial advice, we can't offer legal advice, we can give you your tax form, right. we can give you the phone number of legal aid, but we can't advise you. Same thing with kids. If a kid has their own library card and brings up a graphic novel from the adult section, I am not allowed to refuse to check that book out. And to me, this is a huge feature, not a bug, because... Kids are people, and it's literally not my job. And so, you know, when parents say, well, any child could could pick this up or my child could pick this up, you're either going to have to have conversations about, you know, why you think that's not a book for our family, or you're going to have to stay by their side the entire time that they're at the library. Now, part of the problem comes in with people who say, oh, hating gay people is part of our family value. Because wow. that doesn't trump the rights of lgbtq people to exist in society mm -hmm. see their stories in their collections and i think about all those kids in patmos and jamestown township is not a big place mm -hmm. but just statistically some gay kids out there mm -hmm. it's gay kids everywhere that's right. the thing about us several of them spoke out in the press <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they all deserve those books in their collection which is why i'm so pleased that their library board is going to bat for them there's always an extent to which, you know, when people say, oh, you can control what your children read, but not what other people's children read. Right. I'm like, mm, right. you definitely can't control what other people's children read, mm -hmm. but we're not very good at recognizing the autonomy of children in American society. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite things about being a youth librarian, actually, is that my kid's corner is a place where kids of any age can come back mm -hmm. and say, where is your book about this? Right. And I have to take them just as seriously as I would take a grown up. And... If they hand me a card, well, we don't do circulation back there, but if they hand circulation a card and say, here's my card and here's my book, congratulations, yes, here's right. your book, bring it back in three weeks, please. And this is very scary to a lot of people. And it is, I suppose, scary to a lot of people who want the world to work in a certain way right. that it just doesn't work. Which uh, brings it to that meme, and I wish I could credit whoever said this, but that meme that goes, if anyone even proposed inventing the public library today, oh, God. it would be so <laughs> radical never, that they... <laughs> you'd never get it through anything, right. which is why, you know, I feel all the more strongly about protecting what we've already got. Exactly. Libraries are one of the last public institutions, public places, like just a place where you can come and sit. And frankly, there's a lot of children out there who don't check out books because they know... Their parents will find it if they leave it around the house or mm -hmm. they all share a card and it's going to show up somehow. So they come into the library and they read stuff without checking it out, which is also a thing you are totally allowed to do. Absolutely. Uh, we have a whole separate system for counting those books as right. in-house circulations. Right. Like we're very used to it, you know. And so coming back around to Banned Books Week, like, yes, that's what it's called. But uh, certainly over in youth services this year, you know, we've discussed, we're taking the tack of you have the right to read is the messaging that we are really going for. No matter what your age is, you have the right to read, you have the right to intellectual freedom. We are here to safeguard that right. And so we already have our display up in children's because we like to put stuff up for a whole month and not just the week. And almost everything on that display, you know, comes from lists of 
books that have been challenged in Michigan. So you're not going to find Charlotte's Web on it. You're not going to find To Kill a Mockingbird on it. Like, you know, we know mm -hmm. people don't like children reading about like death and racism and whatever. But there are other books about racism that people get a lot more angry about. Anti-racist baby. Anti-racist baby is on that display. Just I, had, yeah. to, had to pull some epithets back. I read it back while I was my, out at the yeah, youth desk the other um, day. Had to pull some epithets back in my head, but it was mentioned by a, a certain senator uh, during <laughs> the confirmation hearings um, for the newest member of the Supreme Court. Uh, so you want to come check out a book that makes Ted Cruz apparently unreasonably upset. Mm -hmm. Come get Anti-Racist Baby. We've got it here on the shelf. But we also have a lot of books uh, about sex education, like mm -hmm. developmentally appropriate sex education for kids who are like, where do babies come from? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. We should answer that. And those books touch on how families might be made of different types of people. Exactly. Or, you know, we've got another really great one called It Feels Good to Be Yourself. And that's about an introduction to gender. Mm -hmm. And that is who is something that's getting folks real worked up is just not even the idea, but the fact, because it's a fact that there's more than two genders and humans are a sexually dimorphic species, but not that much. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's much more of a spectrum than it is a toggle switch. Right. So, you know, it's on the one hand, like an exhausting and, and kind of scary time because I mean, I feel very lucky at our library uh, we haven't had any challenges. We have a lot of plans in place for if we do. I feel very supported by administration. I, I feel like we have a supportive board because a lot of the problems we're running up against uh, across the country, but mm -hmm. especially here in this state, are hostile board members mm -hmm. or directors who aren't really going to go to bat to keep stuff on the shelves. And it's just a very stressful time for librarians who work with the public, who work with children, who get called horrible, horrible names. Just because they are upholding your First Amendment rights. Sure. I and hate that people have co-opted the term grooming. Which is an actual... Which is a, is a like, real thing. And, and a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. And so different from a librarian putting a book on a shelf. Well, and of course, a librarian handing a kid who has asked for it a book about sex education can help prevent grooming. Because right. a lot of those books also talk about, you know, the power dynamics involved in sexuality and sexual relations, you know, or it may give kids the language for the first time to talk about something terrible that's happened, happened to them. Cause this is, I think what a lot of people will say or do almost anything under the banner of protecting the children. Mm -hmm. It tends to be a certain type of imaginary child <laughs> and you know, it's, it's in their minds, you know, an innocent white middle to upper class child. Mm -hmm. Those are the children who deserve protection. And the reality is that terrible things happen to children all the time. And I mean, this is not a secret. And sometimes working as a children's librarian, you get a glimpse into that. Mm -hmm. And it's really upsetting. And the books that are on my shelves are not what's perpetuating that harm. And that, imagine that imaginary child has attained freedom from supervision and is apparently beelining for a shelf in the library where <laughs> they're picking straight up for adult graphic novels. some sort of like offensive thing. But something else that's dawning on me is that it has increased the urgency, the direness. Um, I remember working in this library a full decade ago. And in 2012, Banned Books Week was fun. It was like cool. You put it your was, caution tape up. You put your caution tape. You wear sunglasses. You feel like you're edgy. 
Uh, and there sunglasses. was uh, yeah, I put sunglasses on just because doesn't everyone wear sunglasses while like, they read the outsiders? <laughs> I was like, check, check me out and read the outsiders. And it was like, yeah, 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 gotcha. yeah. reading these cool books. Um, but now it's scary. Yeah. Now it got scary. So, but to go back to Fan Books Week, which is kind of spearheaded or sponsored by the American Library Association, mm-hmm. but also kind of the what is it? The Society of the Book. Yes. Journalists. Yes. Booksellers. The book people. The book people. The written word people. <laughs> the freedom of the press people. Yes. The freedom to read people. Yes. Everyone. Yes. That phrase freedom to read is at least part of their whole marketing campaign, which is which is important, even though it says banned books week. Yeah. But they do say freedom. Celebrate your freedom to read. Yeah. And but, a lot of times the books that we call banned are actually only challenged. That's right? also this, a whole thing. Yeah, this is a this is a whole distinction. Now, like, unfortunately, I feel like we're having that conversation less and less this year as more and more books actually do disappear from shelves. Yes. You know, a, a challenge is when someone walks into a library or a school and says, I don't like this book. Children shouldn't read it. Take it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Ideally, the response from administration will be, here is a long form that you have to fill out explaining why you think you're qualified to do our job better than we are. Mm-hmm. Do a book report. Tell us why taken as a whole, this work has no artistic merit and we will get back to you. Mm-hmm. This is often not what happens, <laughs> but it's what should happen. Right. Um, so that's a challenge. If a book is taken off of the shelf, say a principal doesn't has decided they don't want to pick that fight and they tell the school librarian, eh, it's just five books. It's just 20 books. <laughs> it's just... It's you know, just 175 books. It's just 175 books. First, it's just about the gay kids. First they came for, first they came for. First. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That is that is a book ban. Yeah. Well, anytime a book is actually removed from circulation, yes. following someone complaining about the contents, not the cover fell off. Right. And it was... Not like it was falling apart and it didn't circulate well, so it doesn't make sense... For us to buy it again. It, we realize it's it's from a time and place where it's no longer relevant. Yes. That is not book banning. No. That is collection development. That's part of collection development. It ties into the fact that, like, you know, libraries have finite square footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want us to buy the latest... Danielle Steele. Danielle Steele. Gotta get rid of some of the old stuff to make room for new stuff. Exactly. The, the more and more the... Voices saying grooming, grooming, etc. The the louder those voices get, the more assured they are to drown out any other voice that might be trying to say censorship is bad. Yes, we did not use that phrase yet on this episode. We're almost yes. halfway through the episode. Censorship is bad. Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just and there's the more... louder those voices are, it drowns out this other point of saying, wait a minute, censorship. Yeah. This is what you're talking about. Yes, and. There are more types of censorship than just banning books. And actually, the biggest one and the most underreported one is soft censorship or self-censorship, which is when librarians start to go, that's not a fight I'm picking. I'm not going to buy this book because I just know someone's going to start a fight about it. Or even the Patmos Library, not to point fingers at an already struggling institution, but they had actually taken genderqueer by Maya Kobe. Kobabe. And they it was put behind the circulation desk and people had to specifically ask to check it out, which, which is, is also an intellectual uh, freedom violation. And I would like to point out that that did not make 
the angry residents of Patmos Township happy, or Jamestown, Jamestown Township, which is a hard phrase to say, mm-hmm. even that was not enough for them. So keep that in mind. If you are tempted to appease people with some soft or self-censorship, it will not stop there. It will not stop there because, unfortunately, I, w- I was talking to someone recently about this whole situation, and he was like, it's got to cool down soon, right? Like, book banning that's not popular like censorship isn't popular and i was like well neither are abortion bans right exactly and yet um i I mean and that is just statistically a a correct fact and if it was about censorship you know as censorship maybe it would start slowing down soon because censorship is theoretically unpopular but it's not about that it's about queer phobia it's about racism it's about i don't want children to know about anything outside of a very narrow worldview. And that is what intellectual freedom is specifically there to threaten. One of the reasons that we say it's so important is because theoretically we're a democracy and a well-informed electorate is absolutely essential or else your government falls apart. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Well, yeah, yes, indeed. (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to make clear, and I don't know if I can articulate it fully on an undercaffeinated Tuesday afternoon, but Tuesday we, it feels like a Monday. We aren't help steer me here, but we don't want to fight. We're not here to fight. We're not here to say we're not here to be in some sort of culture war. We're not here to say Sure. Uh and we're not here to flagrantly say, hey, we've got the latest Alex Gino. Hey kids, we're not trying to foist these things. We it is all about these things are just on the shelf. And if this book makes you upset you, know. you can't actually talk to a professional librarian who will help you find a book to check out that will not make you so upset. Yeah. Right. Because just as we have books that, like, for example, at a previous job, I was in charge of the political science nonfiction. Whoa. And I knew my audience. Mm-hmm. I looked at circulation stats and I bought a lot of books by people that I personally don't mm-hmm. agree with, that I personally would never want to read but because i knew my audience i tried to have a fair balanced collection and that meant you know buying books by people who (laughs) i'm trying to well i'm not even gonna you know what i mean oh yes it's just it's and if somebody was asking me for a good book to read in political science i am trained to conduct a reference interview and find out what they consider good because there is no definition that applies to everyone and and that is part of a librarian's job um a lot of times we are told that we are supposed to be neutral which is very controversial and mary graham is shaking her head and i think a lot of librarians would say well you kind of moved the goalpost for neutral right yeah um it i mean i would the thing is that if someone would come to you with the accusation of of grooming well just hate that word that accusation would be well you have this book and it is offending me but the stance of the librarian is this book may be offending you but it is for someone else and it is just it is simply just not perhaps it's not for you this is i mean i i'm definitely a big believer in every book is not for everybody i think that the the metric of offense is not that useful of a metric because i'm offended by the band you too all right (laughs) Well, and I would even just say, like, you know, sometimes we do say, hey, kids, we have the new Alex Gino book in or we have the new Kyle Lukoff book in. We have the new Heartstoppers. We have to say we well. And because and we say that because like they're good dogs, Brent, like 
We buy things that have artistic value. Kyle Lukoff writes amazing books, you know? Yeah, they got trans kids in them. Okay, you know who exists? Trans kids. Trans kids aren't offensive. You know, people who say, well, I'm offended by that. Well, that's not... You are troubled by the existence of children? Right. So that's, that's your problem. The concept of neutrality gets so tricky is because like I would think that seeing a trans trans kid exists. That to me is a neutral phrase, right? It's it is just, a statement of fact. Neutral statement. But yeah. there are people on another side who would say that that sentence is not neutral and therefore we are not neutral. Right. I would argue neutrality has never been possible because I work in a building with limited square footage. Mm -hmm. The only way to be neutral is to include absolutely everything, which I literally can't do. I don't have the money. I don't have the space. And nobody has the the time and energy to like do all of that and to truly traverse like Amazon's neutral, I guess. Okay, I am not trying to be Amazon. We do not have the same purpose as a public library. And, you know, so for me, it's like, well, we are going to promote some books because they're important works of children's literature and like i don't i don't believe in in sort of pulling this line with my coworkers because i think that it's first of all a jerk move and second of all like we're all library workers we're all doing important work but i will pull this line with censors which is that i have a master's degree in this <laughs> i went to school for this you know i did collection development classes it was part of my training it's a professional job description. Mm-hmm. And um, and you always have the choice to put down a book you don't like mm-hmm. or to not check out a book that you don't like. I find it very interesting so far, knock on wood. We're not saying this with films. It, it, same principle applies. Right. You don't have to watch a film you don't like. Right. Um, and I, I think it's of the whole, like, it's easy to hide books. You can come into the library and just use them while you're here mm-hmm. in a way that you can't mm-hmm. necessarily with our DVDs. I actually used to work at a library where our request for reconsideration form was used vigorously. Okay. Yeah. Even back in 2012, even back in, I, became, I started working there in 2008 and immediately began fielding Jeez. complaints. Wow. Average of like one a year, I would say. It wasn't they like were... frequent, but not wearing sunglasses or reading the outsiders like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, movies did come up. Um, hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, I would say that that community was equal opportunity offended. Ah ha ha. Yes, but. You know, and, and yeah, and this is something that I also feel like this is a concept that I feel is important to teach children because it was taught to me as I was, I read at a very high reading level very early and so ran into the issue that children at that age often do who, you know, are in fourth grade but can read at a high school level or whatever of you run into things that you can read in topics that maybe you're emotionally not ready for yet. And this very much varies from child to child. I will have parents or kids come up to the kid's desk and say, you know, hand me a book and say, what age group is this book for? Mm -hmm. And so far it's always been people genuinely trying to gauge, am I going to like this book? Is this book going to upset my child? Mm -hmm. Things like that. And so usually I'll look up the publisher recommendation, which is very often a range. And I'll say, well, the publisher recommends it for this range of ages. Honestly, there's give either way on that. And I say, but the most important thing, if I'm talking to a kid, I'm like, if you can understand it and you enjoy it, that's all that matters. Right. And for an adult, I'm like, you know your child better than I do. Mm -hmm. You know, you can take a flip through it or read it first. And if you think, eh, I think this is going to give them nightmares. Right. 
there's or you can decide to read it together and talk about it which is what i always recommend right yes. um and if your kid's like you know what this book's freaking me out can we stop right. you stop and that's great you've learned a great story or a great lesson about not all books are for all people you're not gonna like every genre some mm -hmm. things are gonna freak you out and you get to make the great choice of closing that book and because you got it from the library you didn't lose money on that proposition you just give it back to us we'll shelve it for you it's everybody wins <laughs> I have another phrase to say uh, that you'll see often in library marketing, and it it's very it's very broad in general, and it's very simple. It's libraries are for everyone, and I always interpreted that broadly in that literally anyone can come into the building, mm -hmm. anyone can use our computers, mm -hmm. can use the facilities, yep. printing, faxing, but also it is for everyone in terms of the materials that are here. So. You don't like something that's here, but you do like something that's here. Mm -hmm. So if you've come in to challenge a book that I like, I could very well the next day come in to challenge a book that you like. And interestingly enough, this was just seen in a school district in Texas oh. where they banned, removed several books with LGBTQ characters. And then another parent said, well, I'm offended by the, the Bible. They had to remove the Bible as well. Which I think is such a great example of why, like, all book removals are dumb. Because, right. you know, there's that parent has made a point, and I completely understand the point right. that they're making. At the end of the day, it makes me go, what have students gained from that? Mm. You know, in it makes the point that, like, sure, book bans are stupid, but did it give them back those books? Did it give them back their right to read? It's tricky. Um, it's tricky. And because the point was made. Exactly. But also... But was that but the best the use point of anyone's was made? How come they didn't put all the books? <laughs> well, and that's exactly that's exactly the thing is that I don't think we're gonna win this on a gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know, we're gonna win this on first of all. This, I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is the law. You know, because with every year that passes, I'm like, how much does that matter anymore? Right. But this is the law. Right. It is the First Amendment to the Constitution. And it's professional ethics. This is a bedrock that's been here for a very long time. And we're going to win this on the strength of community support, people showing up to their board meetings saying, we love the library. We had a patron stop in last week who stopped by the reference desk to place some holds. And they said, oh, I'm so happy you have those books by Corey Silverberg, um, which are sex education books. You know, sex is the newest one. Sex is a funny word is for younger kids. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And this patron was like, I'm so glad you own these books, you know, and here's another one that you don't own. Do you think you could get it? So as soon as Baker and Taylor comes back online, mm. I'm, I'm headed for your request patron, because you're right. We should own that book. And the person working the reference desk, you know, documented that a patron is thrilled because because those are the books I buy for nonfiction mm -hmm. in the children's section. And I remember when, you know, sex came in from when I ordered it, I was I was looking at it to, to put the Dewey number on it. And I was like, well, if anyone tries to get me, it's going to be for this one or it's going to be for any of the other books in that section. I really hope that doesn't happen. But we've already got a patron, you know, someone who uses this library who says i'm so glad you have these books so and that's going to be really helpful if anyone ever wants to try to get rid of this we have documentation of another patron saying well i like it mm -hmm. i'm glad you have it can you get one more so that's you know this is one of the most important impactful things you can do is just stop by your library and right. say where do i leave a great comment show up to your board and say 
banning books is bad. I think all these people yelling at you are wrong mm -hmm. and you shouldn't listen to them. And there's more of them than there, more of us than there are of them. But again, something for everyone. Something for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's libraries give you choices. And I think some people don't like that. Some people are like, well, I can just take away all of the choices for the people in my life that I have control over. I have not done any research, but I wonder if booksellers are ever fielding this situation. Well, Barnes would you and believe, Noble in Virginia. Jeff, would you believe that's exactly yes. So because I was going to say, technically speaking, they have a vested interest in these books moving off the shelf. Yeah. So in Virginia, a court just threw out an obscenity lawsuit. Um, so obscenity is a legal term. There is a national definition of it uh, based on a Supreme Court case, Miller versus, can't remember the second half, but that's from 1973. So there's a thing called the Miller test. It's a three-pronged test to determine if something, if a, a piece of media is obscene. Um, the whole, the work considered as a whole has to meet all three prongs of it. But that's how I learned the word prurient. Prurient interests. <laughs> Everybody has, I, I learned about Miller for the, for the first time in grad school. Hold on. Prurient. Prurient. P-U-R-U-R-I-E-N-T. Yes. Prurient interests. The prurient juror. And that is, <laughs> that's exactly how all of us in my intellectual freedom class in grad school like sat around like trying to figure out how to say this word Cric um, cricket and i are just here for tension breakers yeah which thank you because my god jeff i think this is the least funny episode i've we're ever just, recorded with you we're just here to bring it back to phenomena so prurient interests uh so yeah which does mean that miller only pertains to um things that have to do with sexual content it doesn't cover violence it doesn't cover you know obscenity is a very very narrow definition it's very difficult to prove legally and various states have well, their own doesn't it also have to be here comes another word titillating uh, appeals to prurient interests is i don't believe the word titillating is used in the miller test but that's what appeals to prurient interests means yeah. and it's cricket the thesaurus these words i know um, <laughs> but also i think different states also have their own obscenity laws so yeah somebody in virginia tried to bring an obscenity lawsuit against genderqueer and a court of one of the i think it was a court of frost and starlight but don't quote me on which one of the sarah j moss books it was but it was a sarah j moss book uh it specifically uh, if the, the case was thrown out, uh, which I think is layman's terms for the judge saying, stop wasting my time. Mm. Um, so, which is great. Uh, it did not even go to trial. It's just the judge read the brief and was like, what? No. And so it didn't go anywhere. But if it had gone anywhere, it would have applied to booksellers. They would have, the, um, they were trying to get those books labeled harmful to minors, which means that you can't sell them to minors, but you can sell them to adults. Although I think in Virginia... It's it's under 16 instead of under 18. So, I mean, yeah, someone tried it on. Hopefully it will continue to not work. The argument that you make with libraries and schools is that they're taxpayer funded. Right. But actually it's because they're taxpayer funded that, that legally makes it so difficult to remove anything mm -hmm. on the basis of content or viewpoint mm -hmm. um, is because, well, everyone pays for everyone this. Everyone is paying the tax. And I mean, not for nothing, but I don't appreciate my taxes going to forever wars. Right. So 
we all pay for things we don't like. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I wish they would use my taxes to fix the roads and give healthcare to old people. Right. And yet, uh, we all have to learn to live with disappointment. So... <laughs> Uh, another important lesson that you can learn at your local public library. It's true. It's, I did want to bring it back before yes. before we run out of time just a yes. little bit more. Yes. Because I don't feel like we touched on it fully, but just the the My Right to Read campaign. Yes, let's end on a nice yeah. note of people are working on this. Like right. if you were listening to this episode and you're like, my God, I'm so bummed out. Right. First of all, understandable. I'm handing you a blanket and a cup of your favorite warm beverage. Um, but also you could feel better if you literally go to this website. But also, yeah, you can feel better because like, oh, we will send you news blasts. We will send you action items. There's already a whole list on the website of ways that you can take action. And a lot of it does not even involve calling your senator, which is a thing we should all do more often. But a lot of us hate doing. This is like nice thing. You get to call a librarian and help them have a better day mm -hmm. by saying, hey, write this down real quick. I want to tell you what a great job you're doing. So yeah, myrighttoread.com. It's the the coalition for all sort of intellectual freedom purposes. On the Michigan Library Association website, you will also be able to see our archived newsletters. So emails we've sent out in the past that you've maybe missed. It includes an FAQ that I wrote about sort of basic intellectual freedom. What even is that? How's the First Amendment involved? What does this mean for libraries? Um, that you can share with all of your family and friends <laughs> and and tell them why why it's important. And, you know, yeah, it is kind of a scary time out there. But librarians are, in my opinion, an immensely stubborn bunch. I'm certainly very stubborn. In some places, it's easier to be stubborn than others because of the amount of community or administrative support that you get. Um, but everyone listening to this can go be part of that community support. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a great opportunity, you know, to meet your neighbors and to, you know, a, a library is a community hub and to show up and say, hey, I support what is happening. Or, hey, I live here and I wish we would buy more gay books. Right. You know, that is, you have leverage right. at your local library. You get to say, you know, hey, Where's your where's your materials request form so that I can say, we don't have this book. Would you buy it, please? I will check it out. We love buying books we know you were going to check out. Like right. this is like life hack for all library users. Right. Um, especially I, I do the foreign language collection for children's. And we have at least one family uh, here at the library who speaks French at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were like, what books do you want us to buy? Mm -hmm. Like y'all are the ones who will check them out. Let us know what's good. Yeah. And keep in mind my my annual PSA. If if there's items at the library that you like, that you want us to make sure we keep, that you want us to replace, if they get all dinged up, check them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we look at circulation statistics, you know, how many times have people checked this battered paperback out? And if it's a lot of people, mm -hmm. kind of no matter how old that book is, I will try to find it again. Mm -hmm. You know, these are... It's a collaboration um, because it is your library and not every book in it is for you, but we want the books in it to be for you. And for me, this always goes double if you are not a white person, if you are not a straight person, it's already hard enough. Mm -hmm. And this is this is a place for you. We want this to be a place for you. I can't resist making this, bringing this anecdote up, but uh, I talked to someone once who was not entirely grouchy or 
belligerent or anything, uh, maybe just mildly grumpy that, uh, you know, that their taxes went to the library because, and I quote, it's something I'm never going to use. And I'm sure there's folks out there who feel that way. But if you live in a city, there's thousands of other people who are going to not only use it, but need it. Yeah. And I mean, this is like, to repurpose one of my favorite memes from the internet, we live in a society. We live in a society. (laughs) I didn't go to public school. My parents' taxes paid for public school, and they were happy about that. I I haven't driven on every single road in Michigan. Yeah. But I like that there are roads in Michigan, even if they're for people who aren't me. I don't use, I'm not old enough to be on Medicare and I'm not poor enough to be on Medicaid. And I am thrilled to pay into those programs and I wish more people were eligible for them. Like this is just... And my house hasn't burned down yet, but I'm glad the fire department is driving around. Truly, I love using the fire department as the example par excellence (laughs) because, you know, people are like, well, but I don't do this that you know of. You never know what's going to happen. And here's the thing. People who were like, why do I pay for the library? I'm never going to use that. Well, you can change that tomorrow. I don't know if you know this. The books here are free. <laughs> like sometimes you have to wait exactly. a little bit, but like I really cannot stress this enough. We have already paid for them. Right. Right. <laughs> so you don't have to. Right. And if you're a Ferndale resident, you could actually walk out with ninety-nine books. You could. You can let that secret out. That's your that's your limit. And the bottom that's of our checkout. receipt will tell you how much money you saved. Yes. So instead of paying thirty-two ninety-nine for James Patterson. You're yeah. not reading it. So. so so yes, attacks on intellectual freedom are a huge major bummer. Boo. And we're not exactly talking about like celebrating banned books week this year. But what I do want to make sure all of our listeners come away with is there are people who are on it. We are working very hard. We are not looking away. And the grand thing is you can also be on it. Yeah. You can be part of this effort. And I believe in the political power of being extremely annoying. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Right now, censors are being extremely annoying. They are an enormous pain in my butt. And that just makes me want to out-annoy them. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to be... I'm going to continue being great at collection development. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that the kids who use my library get the books that they would like. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I'm going to keep making sure the general public knows about their intellectual freedom rights. Because, like, a lot of people just don't know this. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to, in, in in the way that, like, I'm not going to shame anyone for being like, you didn't know this thing about the First Amendment. Because, like, yeah, none of us have taken civics since high school. Exactly. Sure. And, um, and we were in high school and probably drowsy. Right. Exactly. We were also <laughs> sleep deprived. Right. Oh, my God. And also, pain. I'm a librarian. Literally, my job is to help you learn things without being a jerk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, I am happy to talk about this all day. Yeah, you got rights. My right to read. My right to read. You got rights. Yes. That's great. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Yes. I think this has been a great episode. And uh, <laughs> I'm still laughing about uh, prurient. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, you know what? We have to laugh about something. Yeah. <laughs> so, if and we I, don't, I mean, we'll cry. We, Lord, we really will. Um, so don't make your librarian cry. Go to don't my, my right to read.com. Your librarian cry. Go to myrighttoread.com. Sign up for the coalition for our really, really cool emails. But I would say, you know, even more like do that. It's very, very easy. But if you're only going to do one thing, figure out your local library's number or their info email. Give them a call. Shoot them an email. 
tell them in a way that they can document <laughs> that you think they're doing a good job. Because um, not only will that make someone's day, it could really help them down the line. Yeah. Um, and that is like, I think just just such a nice positive thing yes. to get to do. Manamana. Manamana. Oh boy. Well, thank you so much for, for being here, Mary Graham, and appreciate all your work on the coalition. Well, thank you. And Cricket, thanks. We didn't really mention your bona fides, but you have experience as a young adult librarian. So I do. Enough. I have fielded many a book challenge in my That's day. That's right, which is often the target of the book challenges. Yeah. The books for the team. Uh, I kept my Dungeons and Dragons group running. Yes. For, I think it's still going on there. Excellent. Nice. Despite being accused of worshiping Satan. <laughs> Wow, you got like a throwback moral panic. Yeah. Like, I mean, all moral panics ultimately to some degree are the same. Right. But like, dang. It's not they just. They were kicking it old school. It's mm-hmm. not just a trope on Stranger Things. It's all real. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you both for being here. Thanks and for having I us. appreciate everyone for listening to this episode of A Little Too Quiet. It is, of course, the Ferndale Library's podcast. And shout out to literally every library on the planet for all the work that you're doing. Yeah. And librarians everywhere, and library support staff everywhere, and people who love libraries. Thank you. And uh, thank you also to John Duffy, who gives us our intro music and our outro music. And thank you, of course, to the friends of the Ferndale Library. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org or just rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>